This is the Ardella Training Podcast, the leader in innovative strength training for today's fitness enthusiast, coach, trainer, and athlete. The weekly podcast brings you all things strength and performance without the BS so you can train stronger, smarter, and safer, helping you get results. Join the revolution now and become part of the community at ArdellaTraining.com. Ardella Training is dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. Here's your host, strength and conditioning specialist and former physical therapist, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Scott, and thanks for joining me for episode number 98. This is the second half of the interview that I did with Gary Ward. Gary is the author of the innovative book titled What the Foot. And in this session, we dove deeper into Gary's concepts and philosophy around What the Foot. So you're going to hear a lot more uh, details about the book, about his approach, some of the basic terminology, and um, really the true intention of what this book was. And I'm going to give you some of my perspective at the end of this interview session. So I'm going to really try to bullet point things for you, some of the key takeaways. Now, it would be impossible to try to summarize everything from this book, but these are some of the really big picture takeaways that I took away from the book. And remember, I've said this in so many podcasts before, but if you can take away one thing, just one big thing from any book that you read, then that book was totally worth your time. And I think that this book will allow you to think differently about the human body and performance. And that's really the the big value of this book. Uh, Again, it's a very, very deep book, uh, deep subject matter. I am definitely going to have to read through this book again to have a better grasp on Gary's concepts and methodology. But I'm going to really pull things together for you at the end And um, I think that will really help out a lot if you are considering this book because it's really, really amazing uh, insight. So with that, guys, let's just jump right in and we're going to pick up with the interview right where we left off with Gary. Of course, if you haven't heard part one, this is not going to make a lot of sense. So make sure that you definitely have listened through to part one. And just one quick thing also I should mention, there was some kind of weird staticky noise in the first couple of minutes of the interview here. I have no idea what that was, but it seemed to have worked its way out after the first couple minutes. So just wanted to make you aware of that. And uh, with that, let's just jump into the interview with Gary. Well, let me ask you this, and this is kind of my one of my burning questions, is how do you help the your clients find center. Is it cueing? Is it your manual positioning? How do you, how do you get them there? And then kind of going back to that opening uh, question I had is how do they stay there? And I, I, I know what you're, where you're going with the nervous system, but how does it, how does it work with the brain? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure this out. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me tell you, I'm also trying to figure this out and, and let me, I can also, you know, up front, there's going to be no scientific answer to this. Yeah. Um, but I'm not a very scientific guy. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I was going to say I'm a thinker. Am I a thinker? Yeah, I probably am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, incidentally, there is a there is a, a little pain science book that I've ebook that I'm producing, which is close to finishing. I, okay. I hope I've said that not inappropriately. As um, not at all, not at all. No, but and it takes me another year, but I, hopefully it's ready soon. Um, there were two questions. The first one was, "How does it stay there?" What was the first one? Yeah, how, how do you get them there? So is it is it, is it, yeah. is it verbal yeah. cueing? Is it uh, positioning? Yeah. And then and then yes, how do they sustain center? Okay, so how do we get them there? Um, on our on our courses, we again, I don't. Our intention is not to teach people our stuff, but for them to experience it in their own body and explore their own body to understand their own body better. Um, and ninety nine times out of a hundred, the people who come on the course have never experienced their body in this way. So. Uh, another interesting thing is is we ask therapists questions or areas where therapists struggle anatomically. Turns out they struggle with it because they can't do it in their own body. I remember a guy on our on our on our recent course in Ireland. Um, he he could never answer a frontal plane question correctly. He, did you, and he said, "Why am I so? I can't say that word on your podcast. But why am I so that in my uh, in my?" Um, in, in the frontal plane. And I yeah. said, I bet it's because you can't move it. And I sat him down and just grabbed hold of his calcaneuses and checked to see if it, they had any eversion and inversion available in them. Right. Nothing. nothing. I mean, he got him to stand and side bend, nothing. Um, and, and it was this, this idea that he, he can't even think about the frontal plane because his brain has scrubbed it out from his, from his history. Um, really interesting. So on, on the course, um, we do no different on the course so what we do with our patients and what we do with our patients is to go so this is what's missing and these are the movements that we're going to use to put it back and the movements fall into uh, the flow motion model so just really briefly um, we have conventional names for gait uh, that we've um, bastardized <laughs> heel strike is yes. heel strike we call it the strike phase foot flat um, we call it suspension phase because that's where we, um, you know, absorb shock. Transition is uh, mid stance, um, and there's a reason we call it transition. Um, the early heel rise we call shift phase, uh, which is where the, the body takes this kind of crazy leap of faith to, to get its mass all the way over to the other leg. And then we have um, toe off, which we call propulsion phase. So. More often than not, our assessments will guide us into one or two of these phases for each leg, and that will dictate the movement that we need to do to help them. And that might change through the session, because when you change somebody's structure and retest, we're always reassessing just to see that what worked and what didn't work and what was effective and what wasn't effective. Um, and it can change. So one minute we're, we're working suspension phase on the left, next minute we're working shift phase on the right. It, it, can, it can change. It jumps around. Um, and, that, and that's all the body's kind of clinical experience of finding centre itself. What do we actually do with them? Do we cue them manually? We, we do all of that. We do whatever it takes to get them in, into the space. Okay. But we are, in, in essence, each one of those phases is the map that I've been talking about. So in pick a phase, suspension phase, what we're looking at is the journey that each joint takes in three dimensions at this moment of time in the gait cycle. 
This is our description of what the body does and when it does it. Each joint in the foot, what the ankle's doing, what the knee's doing, what the hip's doing, what the... There's lots of books here, isn't there? What the <laughs> pelvis, <laughs> what the spine, what, you know, we're interested in what they are all doing and what they're not doing. So um, we would put them into the position and gently cue, describe, assist if we need to, um, release muscle tissue if we need to, to help them access this space, um, yeah, verbal, yeah, all, whatever, you know, it's just we, we're, we're hands-on workers. We, we'll, we can work hands-on, we can cue people in, so um, there is no need for hands-on, which we like to do first. Um, and we ask them to, which is another kind of neural neuroscience input, is we'll ask them to do certain things with their hands, uh, like, uh, you know, reach, reach, t- just to touch my hand, I'll place it in a certain space that I know if they reach there, I'm going to influence the joints how I want to. So their focus is not on themselves and their joints and their muscles. It's on um, something external, which, it, again, you can easily slip into neuroscience to to recognize that people are doing that as a way of um, of, of coaching people into, into new positions. Um and, and so, in, in essence, that's what we're doing. We're introducing a new position. It's just that the position is the, one of the positions that the brain craves for gait. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. I, I said it wasn't going to be scientific, but I, for me, it's um, the brain and the nervous system is set up for one reason and one reason only, and that is to survive. That is its highest order, its highest intention is survival. Um, and survival is about conserving most energy, being most efficient, and having less effort in the system, so moving effortlessly. So in any position of perceived center where we're off out of balance or one joint is working hard to make up for another joint's inadequacies, um, we are always going to be in an effortful space. I also mentioned effort earlier when we were talking about um, standing on a force plate and trying to be more stable, activating TVA, embracing the core and holding myself neutral while I do. It's all effort. And that is a movement along the spectrum away from uh, what the brain wants to be doing in terms of surviving better. So the, it has a, a constant log constant clock onto the uh, inefficiency, energy conservation and effort and, effort, and effortless. Um, and as the brain, my take on it is as the brain um, or the body shifts from one perceived centre to a more centred perceived centre, then, again, if I'll try and make it real, but yeah. uh, if my, uh, if I go back to the lateral tilt of the pelvis, so it's a lateral tilt on the left. So if you just look at the pelvis, it's laterally tilted. The legs are straight down underneath it to the ground. You've got um, an abducted left hip, an adducted right hip. You've got, so muscles of the adductors on the right would be short. The muscles of the adductor on the left would be longer in the frontal plane. The abductors, long on the right, short on the left. The QL, long on the left, short on the right. Anybody can hopefully map this by just drawing a little diagram. Uh, on, on the paper and looking at the, the space between the ribcage and the, the, the femur, the pelvis ribcage and the spine. Um, you know, this has been being done for years. But 
To move around and live in that space means that that muscle is on the left. The left adductor is always long, probably never gets a chance to shorten. The abductors on the right, always long, probably never get a chance to shorten. Adductor on the right, always short, maybe never gets a chance to lengthen. Um, and that is not an effortless space. Hopefully you can see that. Yes. That, that's the body has to work hard to sustain that. Now, and the next question, why doesn't it just change? Well, it doesn't, it, it, just, it doesn't change because it's created a reason in the past to hold that space. And it probably came out of the reason of survival. So when it had an injury, it learned that it can survive the pain and the problem by holding this posture. Just so happens that when that pain and problem had gone away and got better, nobody retrained the gait. So it's still holding onto the reason it thinks it can be pain-free, for instance. So the, um, <laughs> we then have to go, we then give it a choice where it can bear weight better on the left leg and flex his spine the opposite way. And, and he moves to a space of balanced pelvis, balanced spine, um, where the muscles that I described, the, the, the short right adductor has now naturally got a longer resting length and it can lengthen and shorten. The adductor on the left is, has now got a more short resting space, but it can lengthen and shorten. And in that space, we're creating, uh, we've taken the fat kid and the thin kid off the seesaw and put two equally weighted children on the seesaw who can enjoy the seesaw that much better. Right. Teeter totter. That's, <laughs> that's what a seesaw is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that in itself creates efficiency. It conserves more energy and is a more effortless space to be. And I think as the brain tunes into that and can survive better, that's why it holds it to sustain it. And so when, as it does sustain it, we know that we've really got a good space here where we're understanding the problem. If it doesn't sustain it, that doesn't make us bad practitioners or then bad clients. It means that we've got more work to do to try and find what it is that is going to influence that positively. What is the uh, typical time that people correct. So you pick up an issue with gait or with the flow motion model. And for most of the time, are you able to correct a problem with a session, a couple of sessions? W what does it usually take for you? And it, I know it, this, this depends. It's, okay. Um, I won't, you know, I, we have, I have had people walk into the room as of many of the practitioners um, with a problem that's driving them nuts and in a session they feel so good um, and they take away the exercises that we that they were given in the session um, and they might do those exercises all the time we find that they people do the exercises because they've experienced real value from doing them in the session uh, because they they of the upgrade they, that they experience um, and so they keep doing them um, and that that in, in itself creates a long-term kind of outcome for these guys um, and then others who've got more chronic problems or, you know, disc problems and stuff like that, they, 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 we don't, I think the important thing is we don't expect anything. We don't expect us, oh, certainly I don't, I shouldn't speak for everybody, uh, but we, we, I don't expect somebody to turn around in a session and I don't expect somebody necessarily to, to have miraculous results. So it's, it's always, for me, always coming from a point of observation, um, do you know how are you feeling how's it going and and it's and, and i always leave it up to up to them if they if they want to unless i think i really need to see you again in a few days then then i'll, I'll voice that but um we're we're generally quite open we like follow-up we like to make sure that they are doing the exercises as well as they could be doing 
um, and, and we like contact so we can create a nice space to, to support them through the journey. Can you talk a little bit about the anatomy and motion um, courses, seminars, workshops? Um, how quickly are people able to pick up your system and apply it? We a very solid aim. AIM, aim. <laughs> yeah. a little joke in there. Uh, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> solid intention of level one is that you go away knowing where to start. So uh, and primarily level one is about, or module one, I should call it now. Module one is about um, experiencing movement in yourself so that you, you have a, a handle on it. Um, we deal day one with... Um, with muscles, so our law one is muscles lengthen before they contract, which is a bit flip side. Um, but we use that uh, as, a, as what has been nicknamed throughout the years chaos day. So it, people have people kind of just their heads get kind of turned into porridge uh, <laughs> over the course of a day, trying to trying to relook at muscles in a different way sure. um, and experience them in their body. But the, the we go through that process uh, for for several reasons. One particularly being that they get to experience the changes in themselves through the day and um, in a non-specific way. Um, and certainly the next morning, they, they have these crazy doms in their body, but at the same time liberated movement, which is another contradiction in kind of terms. Um, and then we spend day two looking at basic foot anatomy and its influence on the chain, and then we work out two phases of the model. So there are six phases, and we're looking at two. Uh, in module one and then we spend the third day looking at assessments and application so that means that while we encourage them to continue the work in their own body we know that they're going to want to use the work come monday morning um, and we you know some of the best testimonials come out of that first week of leaving the course because they it, again it's such a shock to people uh, when they go to work and somebody walks in I would normally do this and today I'm going to do that and the guy walks skips out happy um, they're, they're, they're kind of, for me they're the best ones when they're, so we know that our module oneers are able to have, do powerful work um, and then we keep it really tight so you there is no option to take module one you have to take module two as well um, and come the end of this year it will be all three modules that people are signing up for um, without any choice in the matter um, and that's because our highest intention is to get people anybody doesn't matter what their discipline is if they can apply their work whether they're a physical therapist an osteopath a strength coach or uh, an alexander practitioner is they can do their work while being considerate of the map of human movement um and, and, and so it just it kind of bulletproofs their own their own process. That's what we're really interested in. Um, and by just skipping back, the module two is is we actually look take a look at um, uh, module two. We, we, yeah, we look at muscles of the lower limb. We look at the other two gait phases. We look at the um, forefoot um, anatomy, which is slightly more building on the the module one foot mechanics. 
Um, we uh, look at our, we have a thing called a poor man's foot scan, where we help people actually draw out on paper what the difference between the left foot and the right foot, and help them read the read what's going on up the chain. And then we build that into assessments and physical personal experience. So you're really uh, experiencing a lot of the model now, and that's where a lot of the big changes take place. Um, and then uh, the third level is where we refine, we complete the, the all the mechanics that we're that are required in the, in the whole biomechanical system um, and and because we close the circle 100% it really gives life back to um, the, the things that you did in module one and, and module two so it becomes very real but in the whole process you will have been working from people with people from day one. Are there any courses here in the United States or any plans for courses in the US? There are. Uh, we uh, open uh, module one and two in San Francisco in February, first week of February. Okay. Uh, and module two in March, and then in New York uh, in May and June. Um, and then we're also up in Toronto later in the year, which I th- and I, I'm going to say November. Uh, but that might be a mistake. But anybody who's interested, we'll just urge them to get in touch with us um, um, and just to inquire, get some information from us, find out a little bit more, and see if it's see if it's for you and if you are for us. And we'll um, hopefully get you started on what most people report as an incredible journey. Excellent. And uh, those dates are on the Anatomy Emotion uh, website. Uh, we'll, there will be putting up okay. a new website. So um, the thing to do is um, the website's in limbo. So we're going to, I'll say it now, is it's chris, C-H-R-I-S, at anatomyinmotion.co.uk. Uh, if you email that email uh, address, then um, let us know what you, you know, what it is that is your interest, and we'll get you all the information straight away. All right. As soon as we can. And I'll have links for all of your information in the show notes for this episode as well. So um, I feel like, I feel like we really just scratch the surface on the book. And um, I mean, we could probably go hours (laughs) talking about uh, the content that's in in the book and and really not cover at all. I mean, I really, it it goes so deep. It's, it's, um, I don't want to say it's complex to scare people away, but it is, it's in depth. It's in depth. But my goal through the whole process, Scott, has been to attempt to simplify what is generally perceived as a very complex structure. Yes. Um, and I think the sooner we can, not the sooner, I just think that's a, that's a life journey. A lot of people come, they really, they pride themselves on understanding a very complex piece of kit, um, which actually moves in very simple ways. Um, and if we can, if we can continue to, um, encourage people to start thinking simply rather than complexly yeah. <laughs> then then I, I actually think it makes a much nicer um, environment for people to work in um and so yeah I, I did worked really hard on making the book bringing the complexity into a bunch of simplicity so hopefully people will pick up on that absolutely gary do you have time for just a couple more questions or i want to be respectful yeah. of your time no, I'm, I'm, it's bedtime here. The kids are asleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I felt like I had to ask you about um, running, and maybe if we could just touch on that, and then kind of thoughts on a uh, a minimalist shoe or, or barefoot walking and barefoot running, I should say. What are your thoughts on, on that? We are, I, I've chosen for a particular reason to specialize in walking gait. Um, 
primarily because we can we can we can use walking gait to track the movement of all the joints as previously discussed through through the phase in a slow and controlled way the impact of the walking work on runners is that they report back significant freedom efficiency effortlessness in their in their running so there's a direct carryover and um, we can plot a flow motion model for running but i wouldn't work with somebody in that way would always make sure they got their walking right so i guess what that skips around to is that we spend our time with runners observing their walking gait and then recognizing that it is how they walk that is influencing how they run which is generating the the problems that they have now my thought process is this is my thought process i'm happy to talk about it yes uh, is that the reason we have so many varieties of technical running courses is because we had to generate techniques that change people's way of running to eliminate the problems that they were experiencing. And, there's a, and the reason for that is because people don't run very well. And the reason for that is because people don't walk very well. Yes. <laughs> and the reason for that is right. because they've not been trained to do so. We've just learned a way. Um, and and that, is, that carries over directly into our running. So, I get, you know, don't run before you can walk is, is our kind of black market motto. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and so anybody who comes in as a runner, it, it's, it, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, everything I've talked about, how, how, to, how we walk, how we... Um, but one thing I haven't actually mentioned is, is that every single possible joint motion occurs in the 0.6 to 0.8 seconds of one foot in contact with the ground. That's a really big thing to take away from this. If you want to talk complexity, we, we know what every joint's doing. In all, well, we think we know what every joint's doing in all three dimensions. In, and it's taking place in that tiny amount of, amount of time. If you can't get that right when you're walking, what chance have you got getting it right when you're running? And how can you influence that in yourself? You, you just can't because the timings are so, so tight. that I remember a lady saying to me, I've been taught to squeeze my bum when I run. And I said, well, when exactly does your bum squeeze when you're running? She said, I don't know. I said, well, what a waste of time. <laughs> why, do, why don't we uh, try and influence your movement so that your brain works out exactly when it should contract your glute when you're running? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Um, and, and it all came down to reorganizing her gait, which uh, helped her to, to go back to running. So... Um, I'm not. I guess I'm not a technique fan. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a fan of the system. So, um, and the coaches that we've worked with, a lot of coaches that we've worked with, have moved into a space of enhancing movement, enhancing access to to the flow motion gait cycle, and and stopped worrying about technique because what happens when the body moves more efficiently and more effortlessly, and when the joints are free to do what they were designed to do, their technique changes in in milliseconds. They hit golf balls harder. Their tennis stroke is improved, um, and, and 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 there's a vast difference between them unconsciously moving differently and using the same conscious technique versus moving the same and and having change, conscious changes in their technique. That's that normally is a setback. That's like a two steps back, three steps forward process. This is just just keep playing. 
let me just ask this question and then we'll, we'll move off of running, but heel strike versus forefoot. Do you have a, a thought or comments on that? I think midfoot and forefoot running was generated. People would say it's uh, biomechanically beneficial. And again, I think it's the same thing. If you're, if you're, if someone, if you're saying to somebody, we're going to get you to run midfoot because that won't hurt your left hip as much. You're, you're changing the reason the hip hurts rather than challenging the body to to reorganize the hip and then seeing how they want to run that's that's my take on it um i think if you uh, we did uh, four guys running around the world um seven ultra marathons in seven days on seven different continents in 2009 i went with these guys um hell of a trip yeah uh, <laughs> I bet. Qantas and american airlines as a bed and breakfast <laughs> and and um they were so buggered by, you know, I think it was day day three or four in Sydney. Um, the one thing that I, I cued them as they were plodding, they were plodding. They were midfoot running, but they weren't striding at all. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I cued them what they should do is, as their leg is swinging, is to lift their big toe up. And as soon as they consciously lift their big toe up while they're running they broke out into strides and they started heel strike running and and they actually entered a more at walking pace because <laughs> they were buggered mm-hmm. um, a more fl- efficient way of running and that's what so they they suddenly they doubled their speed around the track but they didn't waste any more effort they felt more at about the same pace but it meant that we didn't miss our plane and i think i got from that is that, it, that it's a that, it's okay to run on your heels if you're going slow and don't spend too much time and don't bash your heel into the ground. In the same way as it's probably not okay to run on your heels if you're running really, really fast. So tip forefoot running, super fast. Heel strike running, super slow. Right. Midfoot running, mid-pace. Um, and, and you'll naturally start to do this. You'll naturally use your, your kind of heel dropping down to load up the extensor chain and not touching the ground as, as you start to run efficiently anyway. Um, so we spend a lot more time on our, on our, with our foot flat, forefoot, in, in that whole um, the forefoot mechanics when running than we do on our heel. So I don't necessarily, and this is just me again, I don't necessarily buy the science behind calcaneus shouldn't hit the ground ever, ever, ever. Um, and... And I'm okay with that. And I think obviously if you're in trainers, it's got some cushioning. And I'm really, I, again, these are conversations that always come up and they're just my thoughts on it. But sure, sure. I would always go back to, does your, do your bones and joints work well enough for you to run optimally in right. the way that you want to run? In the same way, I would say through this whole process of actually interviewing your body, how it wants to move and how it thinks that it should move better rather than me trying to influence it all the time. And I think it should do this, but brain wants to do this. I'll just go with the flow and we go with your nervous system. We want you to find the best space for you to inhabit right now and the place where you know that you survive better right now. And and, and that's the place that I, I want to work with, which is great. It takes a lot of pressure off the therapist. I no longer have to influence. I, I'm just free to observe and watch the body move and take its own journey through through the process. I think just to summarize that, it goes back to uh, an effective gait pattern before running, and then you're not opposed to heel strike. Uh, the, the answer to that question, I think you said, is that it depends. So, yeah. yeah. Q, Q abuse on Twitter, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
The, um, yeah, and, and you can supplicate the word running for hitting golf balls, skiing, skating, dancing, climbing, walking. Mechanics come first. Right. Where do people go to get the book? And also, is there any special instructions for people purchasing in the United States? Not special instructions. Um, the book is available in two places, and that is Amazon.co.uk and uh, www.whatthefoot.co.uk, where um, we have a, a kind of, I think there's three options, the U.S. option, a rest-of-the-world option, and a U.K. option for postage. Um, I don't know how that works on Amazon. Um, I think you just, if you're in the U.S., you pay the U.S. postage, um, and it's all fixed. So um, by just by all means, use whichever you choose to use. Yeah. I, I purchased the book through uh, your website, through What the Foot, and um, the only thing that um, it, when you buy the book, it comes up in pounds, and then it's converted in PayPal into American dollars. So yeah. just uh, for... Uh, United States so people listeners. To know, yeah. yeah, just there, wear that. And uh, where can people go to find you online, connect, uh, Twitter, all that kind of stuff? Um, we are probably most accessible on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Gary Allen Ward, um, and also facebook.com forward slash Anatomy in Motion. So a lot of our posting goes up there, a lot of our clinical application notes go up there. Um, um, and that's where we'll be announcing the new website, where there'll be new blog information and, and videos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're also on Twitter at Gary Ward underscore AIM. And uh, that is, yeah, not my favorite platform. So, um, but also if you, I should also mention that if you're not willing to take the plunge with the book, there is a downloadable free chapters where, for the cost of a tweet, which I thought was quite interesting. <laughs> um, but you, by, by tweeting the fact that you have downloaded the free chapters, you get access to free chapters, and then you can make a choice if the book is, is for you or not. Um, and and just, to, just to kind of, that is all about the rants. So I have 10 rants about the industry. There are ways that I think movement has opened up different possibilities for us um, in that space. So if you're interested in reading those, they, they can be found also on the whatthefoot.co.uk site. And I'll just mention that, you know, I had planned to ask you about some of the rants and some of the rules, and we didn't even really touch on that in this interview. And, again, it really speaks to the, the depth of knowledge and information that's in the book, What the Foot. I have had, um, you know, does the book tell you exactly how to do what we do? No, of course it doesn't. It's a philosophy. Um, yes. The, pe the people who are open to the philosophy and the way of thinking and apply that into the way they're thinking in their clinic are the ones who benefit most from the book. Um, there's, then there's a big patch of people who just go, oh, my God, I'm just so interested in what you're talking about but don't understand it. I have to do the course. And then there's the people who go, uh, well, I've read that book, and it sounds like you're selling courses, and it sounds like you haven't given me the information to do what you do, so what a waste of money. So you can get three different personality types in that, and if you're the latter, then don't, don't buy the book. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I, that's not really surprising. I mean, I think you're always going to have um, sure. naysayers and critics. Um, again, I yeah, thought it's a, we, it's a brilliant book. That, and the, the way that I took it is it was a starting point. I mean, I think, it, it like you said, it, under, it outlines your philosophy and it opens the door to learn more about how to really use and apply the system. So, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. So, um, Gary, the final question is uh, – 
and I always love to ask this of all the people I interview, but what is the big takeaway? What's an action besides getting the book, of course, that, that all listeners can somehow use and apply in their training, in their performance? What can they think about to maybe do differently in their daily performance? What can they do differently? One of the things that we talked about earlier is, is, is have you actually spent time attempting to move your foot into a pronated position and return it to a supinated position um, and, get, and get good at, at that movement, not in a controlled way, but in a free, in a free movement way? Um, and what do you have to do with the rest of the body in order to, um, to kind of really explore and experience that space? What is it where, how do you take your knee in a really safe way and explore going inside the, you know, the, the mythical second metatarsal knee over toe space? What, you know, go in, take your body into places as far away from center as possible. Notice that it doesn't break. Notice that it's actually safe and notice what happens to your muscles. Notice the stretch, notice the contraction reaction that they have. Notice the, the change in the body and how, how you, um, how your feet feel on the ground. Um, and, and be free to let go of, uh, you know, one of the rules when you come on our course anyway, is just park what you know and just go and explore in your body. Uh, there's so much information that's so influential upon us that it, it creates the dot in the middle of our circle. But until we go and explore all the possibilities around that circle, we have no idea if that dot is accurate or not. And, um, you know, my biggest advice is in whatever you are doing is explore the spectrum, explore the extremes to, to find what your, your kind of centered point is. And, and, and in that space, just explore your own body in a way that, that everybody should be free to do uh, instead of limiting it with stability and knee over toe and the rules, the God-founded rules that we've created in this industry that, that don't serve us at all. I'm actually going to ask a follow-up to my final question and based on what you just said, if you don't mind. But uh, I would assume that you're a fan of, of barefoot walking and maybe just walking around the house or walking more uh, barefoot is a way to explore the movement yeah. in your foot. Yeah. Well, okay. we, we call the shoes your earmuffs. So if you're caught wearing shoes on the course, we would ask you to take your earmuffs off so you can <laughs> okay. listen to us and listen to your body. Look, there, are, there are parks in European countries that are just, that all the floors are just different textures and you take your shoes and socks off and you go and walk to experience the outside world differently. And, uh, and there's so much we haven't talked about. It's really difficult, but yes. go away and take your foot recognize that it walks on a flat surface nearly all day long in a shoe that is probably the same shape as the shoe you wore the day before. Um, and just ask yourself, what, what can I do differently to allow my foot to experience its external environment differently? Does that mean uh, you know, walking on stones, cobbles? Does it mean putting some things on the ground when I'm doing squats so it changes the position that my foot's in when I'm squatting? Does it, do I, do I, you know, just do I, try to give yourself a really big experience of walking around or doing exercises so that the foot is not limited to the one way that it's chosen to move, but to give it options to explore, to let the joints be the mobile adapter that they're designed to be. The foot is designed to adapt to the external environment, but the external environment is flat, so it doesn't have to adapt to anything because it's the same footstep 
this time as last time and as the hundreds of times before. <laughs> and, and there's no learning in that space. The brain is not neurologically learning how to move the foot differently and therefore how to move the body differently when every footstep is the same. So go away and, and explore that in yourselves. Awesome. Well, Gary, this has been uh, mind-blowing for me personally. <laughs> and uh, yes, I just want to thank you for your time, your passion, your knowledge, and uh, all your great insight here. And uh, again, the book is uh, spectacular. And I hope that uh, people will be interested to take the next step. Uh, again, I'll have links for everything, all, all of your contact information in the show notes for this episode. So make sure that you check that out as well. And uh, Gary Ward, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Scott. It's, it's really uh, amazing to have an opportunity to talk freely like that. All right. There it is. Part two of the interview series with Gary Ward. I hope that you enjoyed it. Definitely a, a different topic. And uh, I, I know that I learned a lot. It was great to talk with Gary. And again, the, the thing is that we really, really only scratch the surface in the concept of what it is that he teaches. And there is so much that we did not discuss from the book. And then there is so much that goes beyond the scope of the book. So let me give you some perspective on the book, on, on what the book is. And, and Gary kind of said this in the interview as well. The book is really the why and the what, and a little bit of the how, okay? It's really his philosophy on impacting human movement and eliminating pain. And to really get the concepts, to really understand it, you would need to take the next step and go to the anatomy and motion courses. And he talked about that in the interview. Now, will you learn a lot from reading the book? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will you be able to take away things that you can use and apply? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, let me give you a couple of key takeaways that I took out of the book. Now, keep in mind that, as I mentioned, I want to go back and reread this one and really better understand the, the book and the concepts because there's so much information and it, he really goes deep and, and Gary's a really brilliant guy, as you heard in the interview series here. So a couple of, uh, Big picture takeaways for me. So number one, the book really helps us to understand the impact of the foot on the body. And that's pretty much why I got the book, is to really understand how the, the, the foot will help us to impact the entire body to improve performance and also eliminate pain. Now, I don't have any pain. I don't know if you have any pain, but I think that the concept of understanding how the foot impacts the entire body is a really, really key learning in the book, which leads me to the second point, which is to consider the body as a whole. And Gary does a great job in the book, really helping us better understand all the moving parts in the body. The body is a complete dynamic system of joints and muscles, and they all have tremendous impact on one another. So that's a really big uh, takeaway as well. And then the point that we talked about in this interview session around that concept of center, that's another really key learning and takeaway. And obviously, if we're off center, then everything else is potentially a mess. And we have a perceived center, and then we have what is the real center. And this is, again, a key, key learning and concept that is covered in the book. And then the fourth thing is really the whole 
I think philosophy of, of the book and the WTF approach is the nervous system and how the nervous system is really ultimately responsible for the way that we move and perform and making changes automatic and unconscious is really the, the goal of what Gary is trying to do. At least that's my interpretation of it. So there's a lot more. There are a lot of other great insights and great pearls that I could cover, but I think those are four kind of big picture takeaways that everyone can learn from and think about in regards to human movement and the human body and optimizing performance. So amazing content in the book. If you, if you don't have the book, then definitely go to Gary's website and uh, download a free chapter or a couple of free chapters. I'm not sure what he has there, but uh, you will definitely get a taste of the book. I have it, and it's, uh, it's a really, really amazing book. And Gary is a brilliant guy, and I, I thank him for coming on the show. Hopefully, we will be able to do a follow-up down the line because there is a lot, obviously, that we didn't cover. And we could have talked a lot about concepts both in the book and then also more along the lines of what he does. So a comprehensive, comprehensive topic. And I, I think uh, hopefully it was valuable for you to hear about it in a podcast episode. So guys, that's it for episode number 98. I'm going to sign off here. I've got a great episode number 99 for you. Uh, a great guest. I think you're going to be really excited about him. And uh, the topic is something that I think everybody is interested in. So I'm really excited about uh, episode 99 and uh, what is coming after that as well. So that's a wrap, guys. Thank you for listening. Train safe, train strong, and I'll see you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.